The end of the year is fast approaching, and this year the Cood Street Podcast is doing something a little different. We're inviting 24 creators of some of this year's best and most interesting books to join us for 10 minutes or so to talk about what they're reading now, their favorite holiday reads, what they had out this year, and what they might have coming out in the year ahead. It is a Cood Street Advent calendar, if that's your thing, or just a run-up to the holidays for book lovers. Today I am joined by the fabulous and talented Sequoia Nagamatsu. Hello, Sequoia. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. It is an enormous pleasure. Um, I encountered your, you know, your, your book earlier in the year. I've been looking forward to having a chance to talk to you about it. But let me ask you, I mean, how have you been? How are, How is this, I don't know, tail end of this crazy period of time that we're living through treating you? I mean, over the past year, I'll, I'll just say that I think, you know, the novel How High We Go in the Dark saved me in a lot of ways. I, I sold it in the I guess the first months of of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and which was quite a feat for a book that has a plague in it. Um, but the revision process really gave me a lot of structure uh, at a time in my life where I think I really needed it. And and because of the nature of the book, it gave me a vehicle to reflect on family, on friendships, on what mattered to me. Um, you know, it, it helped me with my own grieving processes um, as they came over, over the past couple of years. Um, so in addition to, you know, the, the support that has, has been receiving, um, you know, that I've been lucky to receive uh, over the past year. Um, it's also just been, um, I think such a welcome, um, both support structure and um, way for me to reimagine, I guess, the kind of writer I am Mm -hmm. and the kind of writing that I hope to repeat in, in the future in some way, shape or form. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, not to sort of depart from our format too much. I mean, but I mean, how how we go in the dark was largely written before 2020, right? Mm -hmm, That's right. So it's got to feel like a very, almost like strange break, you know, know, shifting point. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this long period of time where, you know, you're writing short stories, you have the collection come out in 2016, that kind of thing. And then you've got this book, which is somewhat episodic in nature. You could do that. I mean, have you been able to sort of with that, done and then moving through this two or three year period you know have you found that you've been able to to write to create during that time or has it been that focusing on this happening has been uh overwhelming i mean you know i think as with with a lot of books that are receiving i think a lot of support from their publishers there's um certainly a lot of time that um a lot of commitment, I should say, um, with regards to marketing, with regards to reaching out to readers. So that's certainly been a huge part of my life um, since since January 2022. Oh. Um, I do have another book under contract, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. Sure, 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 yeah. well, I have been able to create. Um, I, I, I do think that there has been a shift since 2020. Um, I think a lot, like everybody um, or, or people, um, I, I feel like the way that I read, <laughs> the way that I interact with people or the world is very, very different. I don't know if I ever had a COVID or not, but um, I, I do recognize that my thinking processes are maybe a little slower, a little bit different than 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 what it used to be. Um, so that's something that is a little bit of an obstacle. Um, but I have been able to write, um, in addition to the one that I'm contracted to write with with HarperCollins and, and Bloomsbury, 
I've also started a project with my wife, who's who's oh, also a writer. Yep. Um, so so you know, I've been exercising those creative muscles and and kind of slowly getting back to that space of of producing. Um, but it's definitely not um, the same as you know pre pre pandemic yeah. years for sure. Yeah. I, I certainly find that if you are someone who has been fortunate enough, as like say I have, to pass through the pandemic period without having some of the really sharp tragedies that some people have lived through, that that time then is almost like this hazy, timeless time where mm-hmm. memory collapses into a, a fuzz yeah. and it all just seems strange and indistinct. And now you're sort of like emerging from this fog. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's definitely right. And in some ways, you know. Um, I have this book to represent <laughs> that yeah. period of fog. Um, yes. But I've been, you know, also very heartened that, you know, people reading it, um, it's been helpful for them to, you know, articulate this time, even though that was never my intention since I wrote it sure. before before COVID, it's nonetheless become part of the conversation. Uh, yeah. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you're obviously, you know, working writing, reading, have you, what have you been reading lately? And is there anything that you would recommend to people at this time of the year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, um, with having a book like this come out, I've been doing a lot of blurbing and, and supporting of, of, of other authors. So I feel like there's this, this plethora of, of work that has come my way. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing a lot of, you know, judging for, for residencies and awards. Um, but I'll, I'll name a couple um, or a few mm-hmm. that um, one that's maybe not a huge surprise. Um, Emily St. John Mandel and, and David Mitchell were early comp titles for me because yeah. um, I'm sort of existing in that space. That's literary sci-fi, however you <laughs> want to categorize it. Yeah. Um, of course, Emily St. John Mandel's station 11 is, you know, comes to mind when you think of kind of the modern pandemic yeah. sort of narrative. Absolutely. Um, that isn't a pandemic narrative with a capital P. It's certainly humanistic in many ways. So I read The Sea of Tranquility right when it came out. Yep. And um, it's probably, um, it might be my, my, my favorite of hers uh, to date, even more so than Station Eleven. Um, and if the folks don't know a whole lot about the book, it involves time travel, time institutes. Um, not unlike Station Eleven, there's a lot of hopping between um, characters and time. And, and so the structure of the novel for me was, I think, very instructive and inspiring because I'm just the kind of writer that likes puzzles and likes to sure, piece sure. together novels and think about, well, what did I really read? You know, do I have to mm-hmm. revisit this to kind of fully appreciate a particular character? So that's one. Um, another one that I had a pleasure of, of blurbing um, was Alan Heathcock's uh, 40. Um, and some people might know Alan Heathcock as primarily a short story writer. And he came out with a collection called Volt several yep. years ago. And this book, whew, it's um, kind of a cross between uh, Angela Carter's Nights uh, at the Circus mm-hmm. uh, with kind of, there's there's wings, there's an angelic, a literal angelic type of figure. It's a post-apocalyptic. There's a quest for siblings. Um, there's a revolution. So it's almost like Knights at the Circus uh, meets Mad Max. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. but, but written very beautifully and with a very um, almost kind of a McCarthy-esque 
uh, kind of very yeah. masculine, very stylized writing. Yeah. Um, and I'll mention one last one because it really knocked my socks off. And that was No Gods, No Monsters by Adderall oh, yes. Turnbull, which yes. um, I think is a very important novel um, for, for a lot of reasons, but it's really reimagining kind of the werewolf narrative, yeah. Yeah. commentary on race relations, on, on um, LGBTQ uh, plus identity. Sure. So I, th I think he's doing a lot here with, with you know, bending genre, um, taking familiar tropes and making them seem new. And I think a lot of the books I've read this year kind of have this really sort of expansive, epic nature, yeah, yeah. epic nature to them. So there must be something in the water because a lot of writers seem to be doing this kind of story cycle, novel and stories, spanning generations um, kind yeah. of book. But I love it, obviously. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. Actually, the story suite, story cycle thing is a great uh, a classic place in the history of science fiction it's something that's always been there and i mean you touch on sea of tranquility which is a book that when i think about it i think it's a a book where a literary writer is using science fiction tools to do mm -hmm. the things they kind of want to do where mm -hmm. do you feel you sit in, in on that spectrum are you more of a literary writer using science fiction is your background in reading science fiction how do you connect there I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people, when you ask them what they read as a child, a lot of them probably would would, would return with science fiction or fantasy. Mm -hmm, sure. And along the line, maybe maybe in an English classes or school, you know, that gets bashed out of them. Yeah. And you know, I'm, a, I'm a professor now, so you know, I try to resist that, and, mm -hmm. and I you know wanted to give them diverse readings across the board. But um, you know, I was having this conversation not long ago with a group of of, of literature professors. And I think the labels can be useful. They're useful for booksellers, sure. they're, they're useful for writers in terms of thinking about the expectations of a particular audience within a subgenre. You know, there is, you know, there are certain things that need to happen in a space opera. That said, I think beyond, you know, those considerations, whether or not you label yourself a science fiction writer or a fantasy writer or a literary writer really has to do with your community. Like, which communities did you rise up in? Which journals did you happen to encounter first? Um, where did you publish first? So there's so many writers um, that, you know, I admire that could have easily been labeled a literary writer or vice versa. Um, but they just happen to have published in, you know, Lightspeed and Fantasy, you know, Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction instead of the Paris Review or the sure, Iowa sure. Review. And, and so for me, you know, I, I've published in, in kind of both, but um, I've primarily published in, in, in literary magazines. Um, I have an MFA. So when people look at me on paper and um, when they try to kind of place me, they tend to place me in a literary camp. Um, that happens, you know, a writer that's literary but is playing with, with genre, um, you know, in, in, in their work. Um, and, and I'm, you know, by and large, okay with that label yeah. because I, I think that's that's apt. That's yeah. my trajectory. I mean, the other thing that I think is true is that with the the prevalence of science fiction and mass media over the past half century, I guess, it'd be true to say that the kind of tools that science fiction is used to using have been mainstreamed in many in, in many ways anyway. So it's mm -hmm. it's not as clear as you say a dichotomy as maybe it once was. Um, this kind of clumsily, I have to say on my behalf, segues into the, the next question, which is the book you have out, which of course is 
How High We Go in the Dark, which came out at the beginning of the year. What can you tell you us about our readers about this this book? Yeah, so for for those of um, of you that aren't familiar with it, um, how high we go in the dark is spans uh, several generations, hundreds mm-hmm. of years, thousands of years, depending on <laughs> on how you're counting. Um, as um, a, a cast of intricately linked characters, families, mm-hmm. friends, lovers uh, react to um, an Arctic plague that is unleashed yeah. due to melting permafrost. And this plague is very strange. It's very otherworldly. Um, I'll kind of leave it at that. Um, and the, the, the narrative doesn't really focus so much on making this virus the star. Sure. It's introduced and it falls back yeah. into the background pretty quickly um, to focus on how individuals are coping with um, a society that has been turned upside down, um, particularly with the grieving process, with how we deal with our bodies and really creating spaces for um, reimagining who we are as individuals and as a society. And I think this is something that has really touched with, I think, a lot of people, a lot with a lot of readers today in our world, that COVID-19, as tragic as it has been, has also provided a kind of liminal space mm. and plucked outside of our normal lives. Yes. And we've been given this space to think about, well, what really matters to me. Do I really want to work at this job for the rest of my life? You know, um, and we've been seeing people quitting their jobs in kind of record numbers. Um, You know, should I contact this friend that I've been Facebook friendly with for years and actually pick up the phone, right? Um, And, and, you know, I think um, if, if I wanted readers to take away anything from the book, it's, it's really that, yes, it could be a tough read. It's emotionally very fraught. I, I've gotten reviews where people are, are saying, you know, mention that they broke down crying mm-hmm. in the jog. Um, and, and all of that's, I think, fair. You know, it's a very, you know, uh, emotional read at times. But ultimately, I wanted the book to be about hope and resilience and how we can use these transitional spaces to, to do better, you know, to take care of our planet and to take, to, uh, take care of ourselves. Um, you know, partly because, you know, the first early seeds of the book began with me realizing that, especially in Western cultures, we don't, we do not provide space to really honor the dead. Yeah. Um, especially in America here where we, we, we have a very wonky healthcare system, you know, you might cry, but then you might worry about being financially ruined. Sure, of course. Um, due to the death of your relatives, you know, yeah. medical costs. So. Yeah, which is horrific. I mean, mm-hmm. you've, you know, you, you talked about that, you, you briefly touched on the origins of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, having finished it in late 2019 or, or whenever exactly it was, how do you feel about it now looking back at it, where it's now both a book that's 11 months old in the world, but also for you, three years old almost, it must be, an, a strange and interesting thing to do. Yeah, I mean, like um, I would say that very old, the oldest seeds of the book began, like without kind of a novel cycle in mind, you know, and, and that was even like, many, many years ago. I was like, I don't know what to do with this, but it became part of the novel late, much later on. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest that you know I, I was I was terrified when my agent called oh. me and said, "You're ready to go on submission." It's spring of 2020, 
And we, we actually considered maybe waiting. We, we didn't know how long this pandemic would last. Sure. But we also recognized that if we did wait, some other book might kind of occupy this speculative space. Yeah. So, you know, I spent all this time working on the book. So we were very careful about our talking points with editors. We wanted to make sure that they understood that this was more of a Station Eleven kind of beast versus, you know, Outbreak, um, the film, you know, or The Hot Zone, something like that. And um, I think we were just very fortunate to partner with people that, you know, saw the humanity in the narrative and uh, appreciated, um, you know, the message that I was I was trying to give readers. Um, I think for a long time, I think even in the early days of the book's publication, I was very reticent to call it a pandemic novel. And I, I was kind of getting very tired of the word prescient because every prescient <laughs> and prophetic. And, you know, I get it, you know, fine, you know. Sure. But um, I, I think I've, I've started to, you know, um, I, I'm less resistant to call it a pandemic novel because... I, I do see that so many readers and and people oh, that no. have needed yeah. um, needed some kind of solace or needed you know yeah. some more creative or artistic way to articulate our our moment are 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 finding a lot of value in how high yeah. we go in the and and if that's kind of their version of what a pandemic narrative is then then I'm happy to be a part of that yeah. um, I, I just really was horrified you know in 2020 that people would just think this was a COVID-19 cash grab of some sure. sort, you know, and, and I, I, I think most people have read enough interviews or have heard yeah. podcasts like this where, where they, where they've realized that that's not the case. You know, this was done beforehand. Um, and, and nonetheless, you know, I think I'm, I'm much more ready to engage in conversations about how this book matters to people in our pandemic as well. Okay. So l let me ask you this, having, you know, having your first work published, you know, sort of 12 years or so ago, having had a short story collection out and then, you know, writing your first novel and then two, three years pass, you know, have your thoughts about how you write a novel chain? I, th I, I think so. I mean, um, I mean, I think writing is, is just generally hard. And I think with every book project, I think, especially with novels, um, you know, there, I think there is a thing as kind of creative muscle memory on the mm -hmm. line level or passage level. But, um, you know, you're kind of starting from scratch to some degree with, with every new book. You know, I, yes, of course. Um, the, the project I'm working on with my wife is, is very commercial. Um, and in, in some ways, you know, we're kind of navigating territory that we've never, um, you know, inhabited before. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, this next novel that I'm, I'm writing is, you know, it's still very much you know, like I think there's a Sequoia Nagamatsu style. Like I'm a weird sure. writer. Like I'm yeah. always going to be, like, yeah. you know, dipping towards space or folklore, or there's going to be something in it like that. Um, in this case, there's shapeshifters and this family loses their daughter and they replace her with a shapeshifter that they find in Japan in a cave, you know, so yeah. normal things like that, right? <laughs> and, um, but it, it has a much more, it's less of a novel cycle like it's more of a quote-unquote traditional novel if you want to call it that but there's still there's still a fair amount of head hopping yeah you yeah. know again you know I'm, I, I i think my natural tendency is to create um kind of a collage of yeah. of, of experiences and and okay. i know like other writers have a very different process but 
Um, for me, I think somebody that began as a short story writer, I've I've actually found it very difficult to write a short story recently. Sure. I think even 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 as I was revising this novel, which is comprised of like you know sometimes standalone or, or quasi standalone pieces, um, you know those chapters were getting longer and longer and longer. Yeah. You know, like the first couple of chapters, I think each of them are like 40, 30, 40 pages long. And when I sit down to try to write something that's like a 3000 word story or, or a 4000 word story, something I could send to like Lightspeed or wherever, it just, it's just like, I thought this was going to end here and I don't see the end. The end is yeah. not in sight. I don't know where this <laughs> is going because my mind is in novel mode where I keep wanting to yeah. explore and I'm allowing my characters and my world to kind of open up yep. for me. Whereas I think as a, as a story writer, as at least this is how I used to operate. I was a very methodical. I, I kind of knew where the ending was. I knew where the turns were. And yeah. it was kind of a very clean process. And there's nothing clean about writing a novel. It's yeah. very messy. Yeah. And you kind of figure things out along the way. <laughs> the curse and the gift of the band that spends 12 years working up to, to putting out their first record is that, you know, they tour once and then they have to whack out a second, you know, album within 12 months without having had that kind of the same period to work on developing on it. Um, what's coming up for you next and sort of how kind of pressured do you feel to produce quickly, you know, following on from, from how high we go in the dark? I mean, um, I think the pressure's there. Um, I mean, there's, there's, the pressure is there, I think, to produce um, semi-quickly, I guess. Yeah. You know, like, deadlines are kind of like a weird <laughs> thing to some degree. You know, like, we're, we're, yeah. we're not journalists by any means, you know, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But um, I, I think there's more pressure to repeat, I guess, the success that How High sure. has has been. Um, and, and I think, you know, like, a lot of that might just be kind of self-imposed pressure um so i'm trying not to think about it too much and, and just trying to you know enjoy the writing process yeah. which i think is difficult to do and and i tell my students that you know you enjoy this time where you're just playing and experimenting and failing in a safe space while you can because once you start publishing your your relationship to writing can change you know very dramatically mm, sure um, and um you know i've seen writers kind of you know, that had, I think, more success than I have, you know, have like a very debilitating kind of writer's block for a while before they produce their their next work. I don't think I'm quite there yet, but um, I, I definitely, there definitely is, um, you know, a voice in the back of my head, you know, saying that this, this, this can't suck. <laughs> you know, that this, <laughs> yeah, this needs to be at least decently good, you know. Um, <laughs> And are you in the earliest stages of, of, of the next work or? Um, it's, yeah, no, this is, this one's been kind of in the works for a while, but I've been kind of reimagining it. Um, so like I've, I've, I've had several drafts in, in some very dramatically different drafts, you know, over the past couple of years. Um, and I think, you know, even the, in the past year, I've, I've kind of reimagined it, reimagined it further as, um, I've seen kind of audience reactions as I've become a different writer in some ways. Um, and also just as I've seen society kind of react to, to COVID um, like the early versions of this novel also had some kind of plague in it. It was more of a memory loss kind of thing. 
but I, I took that element out. I just, I just didn't want to want any, um, anybody to kind of peg me as like the plague writer. And that's all I did. <laughs> but so I, I, I took that element out and it's, it's, it's a much more, uh, tightly woven to a particular family and, and their boss and they're replacing their daughter with this shapeshifter, uh, and I guess, you know, some of the things, what else can I say? You know, the father that replaces his daughter with a shapeshifter accidentally creates other copies, accidentally creates a copy of himself. And, and you know, part of the Ford, you know, narrative arc of this novel is, you know, it's partly identity formation. You know, this girl is growing up to be, she's being coached to be the girl that they lost, but she's also, you know, her own thing. And there's also this call to find these other copies. They're drawn to each other and they're also drawn to kind of where they really came from. So, you know, there's a lot of themes there about family, about identity, about, you know, um, generational differences, cultural differences. And, and some of this is kind of like, you know, stemming from my own life and, and, and I think, you know, being in dialogue a lot with, with other folks, um, Asian Americans, particularly yeah. when it comes to kind of generational stuff. When this conversation comes out in the world, it, we will be sliding well and truly into the holiday season. I wanted to ask you: um, Do you have a a favorite holiday story or a book that you come back to at this time of the year again, or is it just something that doesn't you know resonate for you in that way? Well, I, I wouldn't say like a holiday story necessarily. I mean, like in film, I, I I've been watching. Uh, my wife and I love this movie Anna and Anna the uh, Anna and the Apocalypse, which is like this mm-hmm. zombie musical movie. <laughs> but um, uh, as far as books are concerned, um, I, I do revisit every year, either during you know, the winter holidays or, or during the New Year. Um, I usually reread Cosmic Comics um, by Italo Calvino. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of those books that I think was a very very early inspiration for me. Um, you know, I, I wasn't an English major. I majored in anthropology and, you know, I, but I was very bookish and I just saw it in Barnes and Noble in the bookstore one day. And it was like, I like stars. I like space and I like comics. And it really blew my mind that like somebody was writing in this kind of, you know, magical realist, fabulous vein. And from there I picked up you know, more Borges, I picked Marquez. I, I, I picked up um, more contemporary writers like Kelly Link and Kevin Brockmeyer and eventually, you know, Ted Chiang, who I think is, you know, probably would have gotten along swimmingly with, with Calvino, honestly. And, um, you know, so Cosmic Comics was, was for a long time on my desk as kind of like my pre-MFA um, alongside um, you know, the wonderful story collection um, called My Date with Satan by <laughs> Steve Richter um, and um, Charles D'Ambrosio's Dead Fish Museum um, and uh, a bunch of um, Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> I, was, I grew up as a Star Trek nerd and, and you know, like a lot of those narratives I think were deeply in. Um, another book that I tend to revisit, um, at least in parts, is um, a short story collection um, by a writer named Pinckney Benedict, and mm-hmm. he was actually a professor of mine um, uh, in grad school. But I had, I had been reading his work for years, and I think a lot of people know him know him for his first collection called Town Smokes, which is you know, focusing a lot on kind of his Appalachian um, West Virginian heritage. Um, 
and and Joyce Carol Oates, you know, published it on on her imprint, you know, years ago. Um, but Miracle Boy, I think, really kind of showcases his genre explorations. You know, he, here's a guy like every story has won at least a push cart or 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 some kind of speculative award. And two stories, I. I I read at least several times a year and certainly during the new year before I teach again. Um, and that's um, the beginnings of sorrow, which is kind of a horror where you see this dog slowly becoming more human. And it's kind of this almost apocalypse or second coming where animal life is like taking over. Um, and the other one is called Zog 19, a scientific romance, which is very playful with structure and time but largely centers around these sentient robots um, on planet Zog and filled with this gas, this sentient gas, and they communicate by tooting. And so there's this language, toot, toot. So the more they talk, the more they collaborate, the more they try to create their society, more of this gas seeps out. And eventually this gas is going to be out and, and they'll just be essentially these husks of, of what their civilization used to be. The other, I guess, kind of twist with that story is that humanity discovers this planet and decides that they're going to harvest the sentient gas and siphon it out of these robots. <laughs> that sounds like, like, like quite a book and something to keep readers yeah. interested and entertained through the holidays. But I have to say, Today, Sequoia Nagamatsu, thank you so much for making time to talk to me. I genuinely appreciate it. I hope you and yours have a wonderful holiday season for however you celebrate it. And yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me.